Hey there, the Fear the Phoenix podcast is back for its third season, and we're really looking forward to a relatively normal college basketball season this year after a weird year that included back-to-back games against the same opponent, um, no fans in the arenas, things like that. Obviously, we don't have to worry about that this year, though, with uh, excitement building in the, the season officially tipping off when Green Bay hosts Indiana State at the Crest Center on Tuesday night. My name is Brian Dickman, and there's been plenty to talk about uh, you know, who's gone from last year's team. So really looking forward to start talking about this current team and looking towards the future in this season and, and what's ahead. Um, on the agenda today, we're going to talk about some of the newcomers on the roster, take a look at the non-conference schedule, talk about some of the quote-unquote expert predictions, and then we're going to make some predictions of our own. I'm really happy to be joined by former contributor turned co-host Jim Cero. Uh, Jim, after a bit of a break, it's good to be officially talking to you again. Yeah, I'm excited for the uh, second season of Will Ryan and what the team has in store. Um, Also, in that upgrade from contributor to co-host, I didn't see my pay raise come through yet, so we probably have to talk about that (laughs) offline. Yeah, Yeah, we'll talk about that offline. Um, I I did say it's good to officially be talking to you again. just for for those listening, Jim and I did record a podcast about what was that a month and a half ago now, and um, you know it just uh, disappeared into the internet somewhere. So um, uh, after that, I, I took a little uh, mental health break because I was pretty devastated. I, that was probably our best episode we've ever done, Jim. At, you know, at least in my opinion. So um, really hurt to to lose that one, but we're doubling down. I got a new computer. It's a new season. I'm ready to go. Yeah, by far our best episode, but you know, that could be just because I never got to listen to it again and I'm romanticizing it. It might have <laughs> been our worst one for all we know. That's true. I mean, we did yeah. do an episode where we were drinking through a happy hour. I mean, it's that one's gonna be hard to top. So <laughs> that's true. I forgot to mention that in the open. You know, a weird year. We get we made a fun drinking game out of it though. We could do that for a road game, I guess. But uh anyway, so Let's just dig right into it. Um, you know, about a week ago now, uh, we're recording this Monday night, just ahead of, of the season opener Tuesday night. So a little more than a week ago, Green Bay played their lone exhibition game of the year. Uh, apparently it was a secret scrimmage, uh, basically. You know, kind of bizarre. Um, not even a box score or anything like that. Uh, but Green Bay wins 80-45. to 45. Um, Jim, I was not able to attend this one, but... I did have our guy, Brian Kuklinski, on the radio, so, um, you know, I, I, he always does a great job, but it's just not the same, obviously, being in person, but you were in attendance, so uh, apparently you're our only hope to to provide some insight on what actually went down for, for that game, um, but first of all, I guess, how did it feel to be back inside the Rush Center, um, you know, watching Green Bay Hoops for the first time, and I think it was like 605 days since they played at the Rush, just what was it like yeah. to be back? You know, it was uh, it was awesome to be back, and they had a, a decent crowd. I mean, it was a Friday night game. It was a good start time at six o'clock. Uh, exhibition in St. Norbert's obviously a little local interest that uh, happened there. Uh, the Bud Light tastes the same as it did the last time I was there, so that's neither good nor bad, just a statement of fact. And uh, on the whole, it felt entirely normal to be at a basketball game, and it was awesome. Yep, that that's awesome. 
you know, I wrote a little blurb, a uh, little blurb, I should say, before the game, just a few things that I was looking forward to seeing. And um, number one on that list was the trio of true, fre- true freshmen on the roster. Um, you know, obviously just an exhibition game against the local division three team. So not exactly a, a measuring stick game, but uh, Jim, just kind of wondering what your impression was of, of this uh, pretty highly regarded recruiting class. I know from just listening on the radio, it sounded like Cade Meyer got the start and uh, Kamari McGee got some minutes and Braden Daly as well coming off the bench. Just what were your um, impression of those three? Yeah, so Cade did get the start and I think he's going to be really good at his size and physical, you know, ability, like, you know, a 6'8 guy that gets off the court pretty well, pretty wide shoulders, um, you know, didn't show the best shooting form on Twitter in a recent uh, video, but has a little range shows game. He's just going to be a guy that as he gets some experience is going to be, I think, pretty good. Uh, you know, I kind of share with you, you know, like statistically speaking, maybe like an eight and five kind of guy as a freshman, which I think would be great. Uh, um, but I think the ceiling's pretty high and, and he's somebody that's going to be in the rotation and playing a fair amount, I think, right out of the gate. Um, separate of that, you know, Kamari McGee did not start. He came off the bench. Um, they kind of did like a line change, basically, if I remember correctly. And he was in that second grouping of five that came in. <laughs> and I really like Kamari McGee's game. I think he's going to be a guy that also contributes a lot as a freshman and going to be very hard to uh, sit as the season goes along. Like even within that game in the first half, like he didn't really stand out to me in terms of, you know, putting the ball in the hoop or anything like that. And then the second half, he had a couple of really nice buckets and he's just like a strong physical bull of a guard and the kind of guard that's going to be pesky on defense and just makes winning plays. And a guy that I think uh, horizon fans uh, are gonna love to you know kind of hate like and I mean that when I say something <laughs> like that about a player I mean that in the best way like he's just one of those guys you're like oh my god that guy is so if he's not on your team like he's so pesky and smart and just you know a winner and that's what I kind of took away from the little bit I saw of him in that game and for Braden he came in late uh, he wasn't really in like the rotation the uh, Scott Vency today in his article uh, said that there's a possibility that he may redshirt which would make sense but I was also at the open uh, practice that they had and and Braden has a fantastic looking jumper and while he's not physically uh, as strong and built up as the other two freshmen a, a long-term play that's a guy that's going to be really good for them just smart player and plays hard but he's coming off an injury and he's you know probably not as physically built and ready to go this year but uh, whether he plays or not I'm not not sure, but they've got a great class. And if you think about that as you know, part of a future uh, post this season, you bring in a guy like uh, Donovan Short, and you've got six ten, six eight, six seven, you know, across your front line. Like that's a big time future for the Phoenix right there, along with a smart, heady player like Kamari kind of running the show. So, uh, future is definitely bright with these guys. Oof, you got me excited thinking about that. <laughs> I, I like that. Um, yeah, I I agree. Um, Interesting to hear that that Daly could be a redshirt candidate, but it does make sense. Um, but I, I do like his size and his length, um, something that the, the roster definitely needed. So um, it'll be interesting to follow uh, what happens with that. Um, another newcomer, it sounded like um, Belmont transfer Mitch Listow was also in the starting five on, on Friday night and probably going to see a lot of minutes this year, um, kind of providing a you know much-needed knockdown three-point shooter. What did you see from him um, Friday night and at the open practice as well. Uh, so open practice, he did not uh, participate. Uh, he was there, he was walking around, but for whatever reason, he was not participating. I don't know if he was kind of nursing something or just playing it safe. Or uh, maybe because he's such a really good shooter, they didn't want the word to get out. That could be it too. But uh, in the <laughs> game against St. Norbert's, uh, he really got going. Uh, he was cooking with gas uh, from behind the line. Uh, he made several of them. I know how many he made. I won't say it since there was a box score that didn't release. Apparently, I want to keep that secret, so I will keep it secret as well. <laughs> but it was more than two, I will tell you that. And the thing that really stood out to me about Mitch is that the way he got those shots were just, it was out of, from what I could tell, it was just kind of out of the offense, guys making plays. And, you know, he was in position and he catches it, you know, right in the shooting pocket. And he's ready to go. It wasn't you know, it wasn't like when you watch an NBA game and somebody has to dribble and then step back to create the space. Like, that wasn't it at all. 
you know, pass came to him. He caught pass cleanly and the ball went up. And if he didn't have that, he moved the rock and then kept moving himself. And so from a standpoint of, I'm thinking that he's going to be a guy that's pretty good for them uh, because their whole team seemed to be sharing the ball really well and looking for each other. And when you have a guy like that, that could just absolutely fill it up and it doesn't have to go get it on his own. Like when the offense is going to create it, you know, for him, so to speak, I think he's going to put up a lot of points. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, you know, two newcomers who I'm really interested in hearing about as well are um, Blayton Williams and Tutu Majak. Uh, when you and I talked to Will Ryan uh, after last season, and he was pretty much gushing about Blayton. So just kind of curious to, to see how he, or to hear about how he looked, uh, you know, was there any lingering rust? Cause, cause he's been kind of out for a while. Um, and then with Tutu, do you get the sense that he can contribute this season? Or are we kind of looking at more of a project big man there? Yeah, for uh, Blayton, yeah, he's, I mean, he definitely moves like a, a high-level basketball player. He's you know, just very athletic. Uh, he looks very natural on, on the floor. Um, I, I don't know that I necessarily saw him do anything that, like, like made my jaw drop at any point in time, although I may have been getting one of those before mentioned Bud Lights when he made a play like that. <laughs> uh, but but he just I think he's a guy that, you know, missed the whole season. Not only did he miss the season, he missed the practice. I mean, there's a lot of rust shaking off for that guy. So he looks the part and that's a good thing. You know, what happens from here? I'm not sure for Blayton, but he definitely looks like a like he could be a, a good player for them. And when you hear you know from Will Ryan saying like, you know, quotes like, hey, it's gonna be hard to get to an eight man rotation. There's a reason why they've got a lot of guys like Blayton and a few other guys we'll probably talk about that you could put out there and trust to make good decisions, uh, you know, and to make good, smart basketball plays. So I, I'm not sure that, you know, Blayton Williams superstar is uh, going to happen this year, but Blayton Williams solid contributor. Absolutely. Awesome. And then what about Tutu? Is that going to be uh, um, kind of like a more of a project down the line kind of development player or um is he someone that you think can come in and and contribute right away i think when uh people have said this you know matchups are going to determine who plays in some games uh, he is massive tutu is a big big man he and you know when i was watching the open practice quite frankly i he didn't really stand out in some of the drills but then in the games you know in the scrimmage like he was one of those guys that um you know, he's so much bigger and stronger than everybody else. He just kind of made plays through that. And I kiddingly said this, um, you know, I saw how he got 10 rebounds, you know, on average in very few minutes. Well, you know, his touch isn't a whole lot uh, to speak of, but he'll go get his own miss and put it right back up. So, <laughs> um, but you know what, if it goes in, like the, it doesn't matter to me if, if he puts it in the first time or the second time, he's just a big, big strong player, but he's also not necessarily like the fastest, you know, laterally and uh, teams that play like four guards, as an example, you may not see him too much uh, team in our league, like right state where they've got two or three bigger guys that they play. You're probably going to need him uh, in a game like that. So I think he's, you know, one of those guys that's really going to depend on matchups because he's so big and strong that you, you probably can't, you know, you probably have to play him in some games, but he's not, you know, uh, flying around huge, you know, lateral mover. He's not the kind of guy you're going to switch ball screens with. Not that they necessarily want to do that, but like, he's just not that kind of player. He's, um, you know, matchup dependent probably, but he'll probably have some moments where you're like, wow, that was great. And some other moments you're like, woo, uh, where's Japan? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that's like, oh, you look at his Juco stats where he was just a rebounding machine. I think he averaged like 10 a game and it was he like, did, oh, yeah. that could really, could really slot in nicely, but um, yeah, you never really know how it's going to translate. Um, so then as far as some of the returners, um, it sounds like Manny Ansong is still Mr. Reliable and just continues to get it done on both ends of the floor. Um, I think he's going to, you know, be an all-conference player, you know, all, you know, at least on the all-conference watch list, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, one guy I'm curious to hear about, you did mention him a little bit earlier, is um, Japana Kellogg. Sounds like he's going to be getting the first crack at those big man minutes. Um, how does he look now in year three with the program? 
Yeah, you know, he did two things in the St. Norbert's game that um, I had not seen him do much of at all last year when he played. And uh, they're little things, but they, they make a difference to me. And one is he hit a mid-range jumper. And it wasn't that he didn't have the range for that in the past. Although they necessarily, you know, was in the spot or had the, the feeling, like the flow to, to let it fly. But uh, he hit one and it, it went right in. He might have taken more than one. He might have made more than one, actually, now that I think about it. But he definitely hit a mid-range jumper. Uh, in the scrimmage, I saw him, you know, back somebody down in the post over his shoulder for a baby hook, and that looked great. And, and also in the St. Norbert's game, uh, this is going to sound silly, but uh, he, he he had a jam. Uh, you know, he, he had a flush. <laughs> you know what? You got to, you know, be able to get up above the rim and uh, get, you know, in game and get, get those boards up there. And I, I just take that as a sign of, like, improved physical strength that it was, like, no hesitation there are so many times last year where, you know, he got close to the rim and went up, but never got up above the rim and got, you know, fouled or rejected or, you know, missed and had to get a rebound. Like, you know, he just went up and dunked it. Like, yeah, like I'm strong enough. I'm doing this. So I thought that was a sign of improved physical strength for him. So uh, I'm expecting a pretty good year for him and a guy who's going to be play a lot of minutes for them. You know, and Lucas Steber, uh, another guy that uh, probably going to play a ton of minutes for Green Bay this season. Um, he told the Horizon League Twitter account earlier this offseason that he's been working on his outside shot and hitting the gym a lot during the offseason. A huge thing for me, definitely been my shooting. I struggled, you know, from uh, from deep last year. So just, you know, trying to work on getting more consistent in terms of catching and shooting, uh, coming off ball screens, you know, working on a mid-range, working on different finishes around the rim. But for me, it's been a lot of stuff outside of basketball. So sh- strength in the weight room, you know, getting my legs stronger, getting quicker, because uh, everybody knows I'm not the quickest. But, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully that stuff is helping. Uh, we have a great strength coach, a lot of guys that compete in the weight room, stuff like that. So that's, you know, kind of pushed me and hopefully helped me. And uh, hopefully that we see those results, you know, come season time. You know, obviously he was a bit more of a distributor and, there was three scoring options ahead of him just at the guard position alone last year. So, um, but I mean, he only hit 30% of his three point attempts. So um, if he has improved on that outside shot to become more of a scoring threat and to, in addition to doing all the little things that he does, uh, you know, rebounding, playing defense, I think that's really going to go a long way towards uh, replacing some of that production. But um, just curious your thoughts on Lucas from what you've seen so far. Well, I can definitely say for Lucas, uh, he, he did bury a three. And if it wasn't a three, it was this very deep two against St. Norbert's. And um, he did that, no hesitation, just let it fly. And he had a couple other buckets. So, um, but, you know, the thing about Lucas is that, you know, he's the first one to say he doesn't want, you know, doesn't have to score. And he just, he wants to make smart plays. And that's his, that's what he's going to keep doing. And something else I noticed being back in the building and sitting close to the court uh, he's a great teammate. Like he was encouraging all the guys, like, you know, there's a, just a positive vibe around the team. And he was one of the leaders of that. And so he's a leader, you know, when he's in the game, he's a leader when he's sitting there watching the other guys play. Um, and, you know, he definitely demonstrated some improved shooting. Although uh, when I saw him in the open uh, practice, they did a drill, a three point shooting drill. And uh, you could tell he was frustrated because he, I mean, he didn't make, any hardly and you know other guys were just burying all of them so um you know you can tell like he had the expectation of himself to make more and uh and i think that's a good thing but um you know he he's certainly not a guy that's coming in this into the game against indiana state looking to put up 20. he might do that but he's not looking to um so yeah but i think he's gonna be an even better player all around offensively So that was Friday's exhibition. Thanks for the recap, Jim. Uh, Much appreciated. I thought Will Ryan said something really interesting on the uh, the pregame show with Brian Kuklinski. Uh, Yes, we have some kind of, you know, the starting five, maybe through the top seven or eight. And then the rest after that, it's kind of uh, who's going to step up. And there's a lot of guys that uh, everybody's done some some really good things in practice. Uh, here and there, we're just looking for some more consistency out of some guys so that we can kind of shore up our rotation as we, we get ahead and when the games you know really count. That audio is courtesy of Learfield and WDUZ, but um, I thought you know I thought it was kind of interesting to hear that 
it sounds like they already have a pretty good idea of what their starting five is going to be. And, you know, even the, the, I think you mentioned, you know, like an eight man rotation. It sounds like they have a, a pretty good idea of that already, but um, obviously something that's going to change and evolve as the season goes along. So, um, you know, I, you know, at the same time, I guess I'm pretty used to the previous regime where they're using the non-conference or the, uh, the quote unquote preseason portion of the schedule to kind of tinker with lineups and try new things. Um, sometimes that results in getting blown up by 35 against Bowling Green, but um, just kind of interesting to, to hear him say that. So, but he did mention there are still rotation minutes up for grabs. So um, how about any of the guys that we haven't mentioned yet? You know, guys like Donovan Ivory, who uh, we just found out is going to be, eligible to play this season or um you know guys like ryan claflin randy tucker donovan moore um did any of those guys really come out and separate themselves on friday night i think uh donovan ivory was the guy that stood out the most in that group to me um donovan is a guy that does a lot of things you know and not necessarily all of them scoring although uh he was a very efficient scorer against st norbert's and he scored in multiple ways that maybe people weren't expecting. But, you know, the thing about Donovan, like he played at Boise State uh, for – he was there for a year and a half, only played for a semester, got into three games and recorded hardly any stats. But he was behind a guy named Derek Alston, who last I checked was on the Rockets roster. And then two guys from Arizona, University of Arizona Wildcats, uh, transferred to Boise State. One was Emmanuel Aycott, and the other was um, Devonair uh, Dautry. And those are – between Alston and the two Arizona players who play his position, uh, that was three of the top five scorers for Boise State. So Donovan's probably a guy that if you think he's just some buster with no stats from Boise State, he's not going to be any good, uh, you're probably going to be very surprised. He plays defense. He scores in a multitude of ways. He has a uh, length and athleticism that we don't see that often in Green Bay. And he has a really good attitude from what I could tell. Like um, there was a there was like a scrum where him and Randy Tucker were going for a ball in the scrimmage open practice, and it was like you know physical and intense. And they're both diving on the floor and they got up and they both like you know had like a mini bro hug and a big smile on their face. Like yeah, that was you know it's like one of those moments where like yeah that's what basketball is all about. Like diving on the floor and getting after it and then just pick your teammate up and keep on playing. And so um, he's just a, like that kind of player. I'm I'm very high on him. And that's reflected in my fantasy team where I drafted him in the seventh round. And so if uh, Mr. <laughs> Ivory backed it up with a big season, that would be delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 6'6 six, six is a, you know, really big guard. So um, I really don't didn't know a whole lot about him uh, just because, like you said, he didn't really play at Boise. Um, didn't really play at, what was it, UMass Lowell either. Um, so yeah, interested to to see how he looks uh, once the season gets going here. So we've talked about the roster a little bit. Let's turn the page now, talk about the schedule. Um, I know non-conference scheduling is kind of your baby, Jim. So uh, how do you think they did with this non-conference schedule? Five mid-major games, three high-major games, and a non-D1, four on the road, three neutral, two at home. Just kind of curious, um, you know, your overall thoughts on the, the non-conference schedule. Yeah, you know, there's the realist of like where we are at. And I'd say for where they're at as a program, they put together a pretty good schedule. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the three bye games. However, if you look at the three bye games that they put together, Badgers are uh, somewhat retooling. Minnesota's definitely retooling. And from what I can tell, pretty much built a mid-major all-star team as more so than a Big Ten level team. And uh, Kansas State's got a you know a lot of young players, although they're kind of picked a surprise. But they didn't go out there and they're you know they may or may not win any of those games, but they didn't go out there and schedule three bye games that you'd look at and say, well that's Duke, UCLA, and you know North Carolina. And we got no chance in any of them. Like all three of them could be competitive games, so I can at least look at that and feel like it's not uh, as bad as it as it could be. And obviously, I'm not a big fan of the non-D1 games. Um, but, you know, if you look at the placing of where that's at on the schedule, uh, I can't say that anybody told me this for sure. It's just me, you know, evaluating things. But they're coming back from uh, three games in four days in Florida. Uh, Thanksgiving is mixed in there. And they've got 
um, the, the D3 team coming, and then the following week, conference play starts. So it looks to me like just a, a matter of like timing. You know, it's probably hard to get a team up here to play a home game and then combine that with, you know, a conference play the following weekend. Uh, I'm not saying they went for a throwaway game by any means, but certainly, you know, weren't going to go out on the road or anything like that when they've got, you know, conference play starting right away. So, no, I'm not a big fan of it. I think I understand why it was pl placed there. But a I'm get right game. interested in <laughs> what's that, Brian? A get right game. <laughs> a get right game. I actually think they won't need a get right game because the thing I'm most interested in is the five mid-major teams that they're playing. And so you've got Indiana State who, you know, coming in uh, to open the season. Most estimates have them around ninth in the Missouri Valley. So very winnable game uh, without their best player, Tyreke Key. And then you've got that tournament down in Florida where you've got UNC Greensboro with a brand new head coach uh, picked by a lot of people around fifth in SOCOM. Uh, FIU is uh, picked around 11th in Conference USA. And they were a team, if you remember correctly, they came here during the uh, Link Darner era and got walloped in the uh, CIT, I believe that was, or yep. CBI, one of those two. It was the CIT, yep, I remember. CIT, yeah. And then Weber State's picked first in the Big Sky. So like you look at those four teams, and you've got three games that you could look at and say, these are teams that are not better than Green Bay. And Weber State's probably the one that you'd look at and say, yeah, maybe they're better than us, but it's not like, um, it's not Gonzaga. Yeah, we've got a chance there. And uh, then on the road, they're going to UMKC, who's going to play feisty and scrappy basketball, but they're only picked fourth in the summit. So you look at that and say, there's a legit chance to be somewhere between five and four, or six and three coming into, you know, in the non-conference. And so, you and I have talked about this. A winning record in the non-conference would be really good for building momentum. And they've got a chance with the schedule because, you know, those games, it's not like they're going on the road for those five mid-major games. They only have one true road game, and it's against a very winnable opponent. Yeah, so let's let's talk about it. I, I You know, I threw together some over-unders. Uh, you kind of mentioned re what you're thinking as far as win-loss in the, in the non-conference. So if I put the over-under at, four and a half non-conference wins. Where, where do you land on that one? I'm on the over on that. I, I, I definitely see a path to five and, you know, with a, if they're as good as I think they're going to be, uh, there's a definite path to six non-conference wins. What about you, Brian? Where do you see it? Where do you, where do you fall on that one? So I am slightly under, I'm going four wins. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to to get into specific uh, games, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable saying uh, I could see four. Um, okay. You know, I, I like you know the fact that you've seen them up close and personal, and you're you see a path to six. That makes me say maybe I should go over, but um, I'll stick with my under. Right. So I'll just, I'll just leave it as a placeholder for anybody listening. There are two players on the Green Bay team that are new to that are severely underrated so we'll just leave it at that you'll know you'll know as soon as you start watching yeah we'll, we'll find out tuesday i guess um <laughs> when everyone's listening to this uh so next i went with <clears throat> excuse me 10 and a half conference wins what do you think over or under on that one 22 well, game conference schedule yeah so you know i have green bay six in the conference uh out of 12 teams and you know, when I look at the teams that I have ahead of them, there are just some games where, and some locations where the where the program has struggled. You know, they haven't done well at, at in Dayton, as an example. Um, you know, so there's just some games I look at and say, "Woof, that's going to be hard to get a win." But there's a a clear path to 12 and 10, uh, high side at 14 and 8, and really surprising. So I'm definitely on the over. Uh, even though I don't have them winning the conference by any means this year, I definitely think that 10 and a half is a number that they can exceed. All right. I went under again, just slightly. I went, I think uh, 10 and 12 will be my guess. Um, that leads into the next one. I, I said over under eighth place finish. I took, you already said you went over, meaning you think they're going to finish better than eighth. Um, I think, they're going to push. I have them finishing at eight, um, you know, obviously better than the uh, the experts think that they're going to be uh, finishing. I think it was pretty much consensus that everyone had them finishing at 11th out of 12. Um, 
you know, a few of those outlets even had them finishing 12th. So, um, yeah, I definitely don't see things being that bad, but I, I am expecting some growing pains this year. Um, you know, what, first of all, what do you make of all those, um, previews? I mean, I, I can understand them because, uh, you know, a lot of those are just based off last year's stats and things like that. So a lot of, a lot of our guys don't really have any stats, so it's kind of hard to predict, but just kind of curious to get your thoughts on 11th place consensus in the preseason predictions. Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that, um, uh, this is going to be my old man, get off my lawn moment. Um, but you know, there is a, in basketball predictions, there's a group think mentality. Like, you know, somebody comes out and puts out, you know, green Bay 11th, and then you read that preview and then you start reading more previews and you start doing your own picks. And like, it just, it almost like naturally just falls into where, you know, where somebody else started with and, you know, and whatever information is put out there. So I, I think I understand, you know, people are looking at three guys are gone and, and, um, you know, where's the points going to come from. But at the end of the day, like, you know, this is about, they've got their guys now, they've got tremendous length. They've got a lot more athletic ability than they had a year ago. And, you know, in the case of a couple of the guys that aren't with the program anymore, whether it's uh, some deep bench guys that kind of had a, a questionable attitude from what I could see. And then, you know, some of the guys who are playing that, you know, like to take difficult shots. I, you were just going to see an offense that I think is just a, such a better fit. Like I was to, you know, you think I used to think about this in the coach Darner era and we had a tremendous amount of talent and athleticism and they had, some of the guys have to work so hard to get a bucket because, you know, they were empowered to create their own shot, you know, kind of NBA style offense. You are not going to see a Green Bay player come down the court, <coughs> dribble, step back and shoot a three. And if you do see a Green Bay player do that this year, you're going to see said Green Bay player get subbed out of the game almost immediately. I can guarantee <laughs> it. And I share that, like, they're going to be the team that moves the ball and finds the open guy, and they're going to be the team that, if you're an opponent, you're going to be, how in the hell did Mitch Listow get open in the corner for a three in, you know, when you know he's the best shooter on the team? And it's just going to happen, and it's through moving people and moving the ball that they're going to be so much better than teams that empower their players to make difficult shots, because at this level, most of the guys can't make difficult shots. So when you're in Oakland, as an example, who empowers guys to, you know, create space, you're going to have guys doing things that, you know, are low percentage. And that's why you saw a guy like, you know, Jalen Moore, who's a fantastic player. He has, a, you know, a shooting percentage in the thirties and, you know, has four turnovers a game because he's empowered to make difficult things. And sometimes it works and you can't do anything about it. Green Bay is not going to be that way. But by having the sum of the parts be better than the whole, they're going to win a lot more games than people think. Um, I, I just feel absolutely certain of that. And I feel absolutely certain that their improved length and athleticism is going to help them, in, you know, either in scoring and hopefully in defending the ball better. Um, so I'm feeling very confident that 11th or 12th, and people have 12th. I mean, I watched the IUPUI game against Anderson. IUPUI was bad. Bad. <laughs> Bad. Why are you watching an IUPUI exhibition game? <laughs> you know, um, I, I have to ask my therapist about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you want to, I think it's your pinned tweet last time I saw, but do you want to just kind of mention what you have the uh, the standings looking like, at least in your predictions? Yeah. I, I got it. So, you know, it is my pinned tweet. I'm going to keep it out there for better or worse. I mean, I put myself out there on a couple of these picks. Uh, I got state first, uh, just an overall combination of, you know, they've got a decent point guard in Calvin. You've got Tanner Holden making plays from the wing. You've got a couple of big bodies, you know, one already established uh, in Grandpa Silly. And then you've got nice role players in Wilborn and Finky and a couple other guys, like just a pretty deep team well-coached, not going to beat themselves. And home court advantage probably helps them. They have a really good home court. Uh, Cleveland State, I picked second. You know, it'll be interesting with the 
with the crowds coming back, like they they manufactured their own juice last year, and that was really big for them. And they also got to play Fort Wayne four times in the regular season, which was also big for them. Uh, but they have <laughs> a really deep team, and you can't take it away from them. They have gritty players. They, to a certain extent, had a team that you know you're looking that hopefully Green Bay has, like a team full of nobodies that you know came together and is really hard to beat because they don't beat themselves. Uh, I have Detroit Mercy third. <laughs> I think that. It's a little bit of a stretch for me because I'm not a super big Detroit Mercy fan, but Antoine Davis last year down the stretch of the season was the best Antoine Davis I had seen. Uh, in the previous two and a half years, Antoine Davis was one of my least favorite players in the Horizon League because he was empowered to make difficult to take difficult shots that most of which he didn't make, and he was kind of a black hole and they blew through a lot of players because no, I don't think people want to play with him. Quite frankly, if you're on a team where the whole role getting him open shots like that's no fun uh but down the stretch i thought i saw a better playmaker a better decision maker and a guy that if he's playing like that they're hard to beat um you know they brought in a bunch of new bodies some of them i think could be decent prince oduro was good at the mid-major level um so in previously at siena so i think there's some guys there that you know good role players uh, i've got nku fourth i really like you know you, you need weapons got a lot of them uh faulkner warwick uh those are pretty good weapons to have they've got some you know a couple big bodies rebounding down low and you know i'm not a big fan of the style that they play necessarily uh i think they're a good enough team and have good enough coaching that they will uh, come together and be fourth i got uwm fifth and uh, pat baldwin i think is gonna be the real deal uh i saw a few highlights of him against MSOE and just the way he moves and the way he plays and, and what on the court, I think he's gonna be really good. And something else I know living in the Milwaukee area, like anytime I hear uh, UWM players, they have a championship mindset. They have set a very high bar for themselves. Like that's something that you and I have talked about before, like not being afraid to talk about being successful. Uh, and they talk that way. I would actually pick him higher if, uh, if I thought that that senior could coach him up higher, but he hasn't demonstrated that in four years, and so it's hard to pick against the track record. Uh, Green Bay at six, we already talked about that. <sighs> Oakland at seventh. Oakland is a team with very little depth, but high-end starting, um, high, <laughs> really high-end starting players. And but you know, two things that stand out about Oakland, I think that they're a team that can beat themselves because uh, Coach Champy does allow his players the freedom to make some plays, and some of some of the time they're going to make plays that you know. As you see on TV, that players in the mid in the mid major level can't make, and they're gonna, it's going to result in being harder to win and close out games than it needs to be. The other thing is that uh, they're really big on their zone defense. I keep hearing that. I know a lot of people say, "Hey, down the stretch last year, their zone was great. Micah Parrish was awesome," and and I'm sure that's true. But one thing about uh, defensive teams, that is not a switch that you turn on. You're either good at it or you're not. It's either in your culture and your identity, or it's not. And quite frankly, that has not been in the Oakland culture and identity for the vast majority of uh, their existence in the Horizon League. I just can't see a team that isn't a defensive team all of a sudden becoming a really great one. So I've got them seven. Uh, UIC, I had eighth, although I understand Maurice Commander might be out for the season now. So that would be a blow to that. But I just like their depth. They added a ton of guards, older guards, uh, like Marcus Larson, possibly a you know, big guy from my Incarnate Word, and Brandon Battle. He put up some stats in uh, the but I'm not sure that that's going to translate. But they just they went out and got more players. Uh, last year, I thought that they hurt themselves because when they were at their best, it was T. Von Kirk and uh, Raquandis Mitchell, and they were just freewheeling and out, you know, being more athletic than everybody else and just putting the ball up and catching it and shooting it. And they missed it, going and get it and put it back in. And and then they got kind of like sensitive to the turnovers and bad low shooting percentage and kind of tried to implement more discipline. And it just like, it fell apart and their team fell apart. So I feel like they got players to fit their system better. And I think that they could be a, with commander if you had been playing would have been a surprise. Uh, I had Fort Wayne at number nine. A lot is made of uh, Sean Kui, a few of their other transfers, <laughs> but ultimately they added guys that just, that I mean, just a team, a team that was shooting a lot anyway is just going to shoot more. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure. Like, I don't see the defense. I don't see the rebounding. And there's only one ball. And you can add a whole bunch of shooters, but they have to share that one ball. And um, 
you know, I heard Kaufman on the Horizon podcast, like, you know, kind of just like saying he wasn't like a big adjustments guy. Like, we're just going to do our thing and play how <laughs> we play. And I'm not going to break down a whole bunch of film or something to that effect. And I was just like, I just kind of like took it as like, yeah, so you're not really addressing the fact that you didn't defend, didn't rebound and didn't protect the ball and took a lot of bad shots. So, okay, I'm not, I'm not sold on you. Uh, Robert Morris at 10th with a room to go sky high. They have a lot of physically talented players, although they are uh, a team with, you know, uh, uh, like, how are you going to share when you have Ferran Flavors, who's a big time shooter? Uh, you have Michael Green, who's a chucker. You have Rasheen Dunn, who puts up a lot of shots. You have Cam Ferris, who shoots a lot. Then they have a couple other transfer big guys that didn't work out at uh, higher level programs like St. Bonaventure and LaSalle. Not that those are super high level, but that's at line 10. And uh, I just wonder how all that's going to come together. And that's a team that was very selfish and undisciplined last year. That's a program that goes through a lot of players, historically speaking. And uh, I'm just worried that they're not going to be able to pull that all together. Uh, Youngstown, I have 11. A lot of unknowns there. They've got um, some NAIA, some D2, some D3 guys. They're relying on a bench guy from uh Dayton to kind of take over uh but the big thing I take away there you know Calhoun I think is in his fifth year and you know they've never really been good at defense from what I can tell statistically certainly not and I'm not sure that they're going to address that with the team that they put together and uh, a team that very well you know could have all that offense click but just you know it doesn't seem to be in their identity either to be able to you know defend anybody or stop anybody and then uh IUPUI I have last I, I didn't see a whole lot of offensive ability on that particular team uh, <laughs> yet, but I think that they've hired the right guy, you know, and certainly they're going to give themselves a chance to take out of where they're at, but <laughs> that's a team that they're not going to roll over and you get whooped every game. But I think that that's a team that um, you, you could safely say is towards the bottom. They're relying on a lot of young players and a lot of players who uh, aren't great shooters, quite frankly, but they're allowing them to shoot. And that's a problem. So, yeah, I, you know, they finally got rid of their two year interim head coach. Um, I, I like their um, new hire as well. Matt Crenshaw, uh, former player there. So uh, hopefully he can get it turned around. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned group think. So we have kind of similar uh, predictions, not not entirely the same, but fairly similar. Um, I also have Wright State uh, finishing first. Um, I love Scott Nagy. Uh, I like the roster he has, and I just kind of think, you know, that program, you know, I think they're going to be the champs until they're not. So um, I got them number one. Uh, I do have Cleveland State number two. You know, Dennis Gates is great coach. Um, I think with, you know, the full round robin happening, like you mentioned earlier, they're not going to get to play Purdue-Fort Wayne four times. So, um you know, things like that will, will come into play. Uh, but they do have talented kids. They all buy into the system. Fun to watch. Um, I think they'll finish second. I have NKU number three. Um, you know, they bring back everybody, which isn't always, you know, like that's not a guarantee of success. Like I think IUPUI brought most of their team back a few years ago, but if if the whole team's garbage, it, you know, it's still garbage. So, um, <laughs> But I like NKU this year. I've got them at three. I've got Detroit Mercy at four. I also have UWM at five. I have Oakland at six. Um, I'm a I'm a campy believer. I like him. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're gonna be challenging for the title, but they're they're not gonna be a bottom feeder feeder either. So I really don't think there's a whole lot of separation when when you're in this middle tier here. Um, Originally, when I when I did this, I I didn't realize that uh, Maurice Commander was out for the season, so I had UIC at seven and Green Bay at eight. I probably would flip flop that now, uh, knowing what I do. Um, I'm a little bit higher on Robert Morris than you are. I I like the pieces they brought in, but you brought up a good point. Like, can they all gel together? Um, so I have them at nine. Purdue Fort Wayne at ten. Um, Youngstown State just a awful program i have them at 11 and uh iepy at 12 so uh you know reserve the right to to make some changes when we record again uh before the conference play starts but that's what we got right now and we're sticking to it right jim 
That's right. I will say one thing on that Maurice Commander note. Uh, that is off of the UIC message board. I, I have not validated that because if I would have validated that, I would not have drafted him in the fantasy draft. Like <laughs> so I yeah, really he, he posted on Instagram. Uh, he posted on Instagram. See you next year. So okay. Uh, sounds uh, sounds pretty definitive. And uh, when you're over the age of 40, you're not allowed to look into Instagram. So I wasn't able to see that. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's our predictions. I just got a few more over-unders here. Um, you know, they finished 324th last season in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. I put the over-under at 240 just to kind of, um, you know, can they get out of the bottom third in the country in defensive efficiency this year, or are we still in kind of uh, for a rude awakening on the defensive side? Mm-hmm. This is a really tough one for me because, uh, you know, God willing, they're going to be better than 240 in uh, defensive efficiency. You know, Tucker and Ivory, I think, are going to be um, big in helping that. Like, I think Ivory, um, you know, these are guys' length and athletic ability, and I think that will be helpful. I feel like Kamari will help on the defensive end. Like, you know, there you've got a, a kind of a bulldog of a player, somebody who can stay in front of his man. Uh, you know, last year, uh, there were there were just times where teams would, you know, isolate on Lucas, put him on skates, and go to the rack. And you know, like now, I don't see how we're gonna be able to, they're gonna be able to do that as much. We've got a guy like Kamari who can really defend. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like they got eaten up in the high ball screen, and uh, I, I don't know, that's got to improve organically because you have a lot of the same guys back. You know, you've got Japan back, you've got uh, you know Kurtzman back, you, and then you're bringing in new guys like Cade and Tutu who you know, you know, they're going to have to learn that defensive system pretty quickly. So I'm not sure if one of the things that kind of, you know, hurt them last year will get better or not. Um, but, you know, something else I think will help uh, with the defensive efficiency is not getting whipped by high majors in the first week of the season when they're rebuilding. Like, you know, it's not, a, it's not good to dig out of a hole where you lost by 50 or whatever, or 40 to the Badgers or you were down by 30 something to the Golden Gophers. Like, those things haunt you over the course of the season, especially <laughs> a shortened one. You know, when when those work those low games like get baked into the metrics and stay longer, like playing a 31 game season and not playing teams that are in theory going to beat you by 35 or 40 points, uh, probably is going to help the numbers. So I'm hoping it's better, but I, I'm honestly not sure yet. <laughs> you know, for this one, I I'm a believer. Um, you know, Will uh, talked about. Um, you know, just having a full off season to, um, you know, and, and another full year for, for the guys that come back, uh, that, that are coming back, you know, in the system and being able to, to help along the young guys and, and the newcomers, um, just to kind of have a better understanding of, of what they're trying to do defensively. So I think just having, you know, more, um, you know, I hate this term, but like better fit players, like players that fit the system better um and just having a little bit longer time in that system will will help um on the defensive side so yeah. then the hard yeah. part of that though brian when you think about it is like i didn't think that amari or pj were problems for defense i just thought those are two of the better guys on defense right, right. you know that's where i'm almost like okay you know i think they're gonna be better i saw them working on stuff to be better um and i i I'm hopeful, but at the end of the day, like they're, they're, I mean, they were really low in the defensive efficiency ratings. And so that's a big mountain to climb. You get to 275 or 260. That's probably going to seem like enough of improvement because I think the offense is going to be even more efficient uh, to win some games, but yeah, we're going to find out tomorrow. It's going to be a good test. Yeah. And they're, they're starting at at, uh, number 301. So uh, like you said, they've got a, a tall hill to climb. Um, just based on those preseason numbers. Um, so speaking of Ken Palm, another over/under I jotted down here: 16 and a half. Um, the Horizon League's Ken Palm rank. Do you think they'll finish better than 16 and a half or worse? I, I should note that uh, they were number 20 last year. They're number 19 in the preseason this year. Um, they were number 16 back in 2016, but Valpo is still in the league there. Um, so out of the 32 teams, what do you, what do you think as far as Ken Palm rank, can we win enough out of conference games is pretty much the question, right? 
Yeah, I think um, I, I'm going to go with uh, they're not going to be 16 and a half or better. I think they're going to be you know below that number. But I think the league has improved tremendously. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when I look at when I did my rankings, I, I can make a case for 10 teams to be competitive, you know, really competitive. And even Youngstown, I can make a case to be competitive because while I'm downplaying their defense, their offense is probably going to be pretty good with the players they have. Um, so, you know, you can make a case that a lot of teams are, are picking up the slack. I also saw a lot of teams, uh, doing things on the scheduling front that I didn't necessarily agree with. I saw NKU with two, um, you know, two high major games, although against teams with new coaches, which I think is a chance to win, but then also two non-D1 games. So when you, you know, you're ranking the conference, you've got, you know, you have a lot more, you have games that don't count. And so that you have to be really good then in those other seven games to like improve the ratings coming into the conference play. And, uh, you know, Detroit and, and Oakland were doing Detroit and Oakland things and have ridiculous schedules that they can't probably beat anybody with. And so that's like, we're just digging a hole for the conference <laughs> ranking, even though I think the teams are actually better than they have been in the past. So I just don't know that they're to your point, you got to, you know, win games because, um, you know, I know everybody says like Ken Palm's you know, adjusted for efficiencies and all this, or, uh, you know, strength and schedule and all this other stuff. But like, when you're, there's such thing as an efficient 20 point loss. So <laughs> there's no, there's no adjusting that to make, you can't shine. I'll let you fill in the blank. You know, like that, that you, we just have to, as a league, be better in how we're scheduling. If you want to, you know, lift the league, you, you've done it with players. Now you got to do it through wins. And we just didn't schedule that way as far as I can tell. Right. Yeah, I think um, 16 would be probably the high end of, of what is possible. Um, I think they'll probably be more in like the 18, 19 range. Um, so so better than than they Still have good. been. Yeah, better than they have been, you know, three to the past four years. They've been in the 20s and in some cases the mid-20s. So uh, <laughs> I don't think we'll be down there, um, but probably not going to get you know, into that top half this year. At least I don't think so. Not yet, but hopefully they keep working at it and keep scheduling smarter and keep building momentum on the player acquisition side. And, uh, you know, it's not an insurmountable hill because you get into that top 16. Now you're talking about, um, you know, having a team good enough to be more than a 15 seed. Now you're talking about, hey, if our top team, you know, bows out the conference tournament, maybe they sneak back in, you know, through an at-large and then we get a two-bid league, like, but you're not going to do that when you're the 25th rated conference right yep so a couple more uh over-unders i had here um this one's off the court i put 2500 for the average per game attendance do you think over under i know the last time fans were in the building it was it was under 2000 average attendance for the first time since like 1983 so um you know, and sadly, I think in Brian Wardle's last year, it was around 4,000 per game. So it's kind of kind of sad how far it's fallen off. But just kind of curious, do you think we start bucking that trend this year? And do we do we get over 2,500 per game, or do you think we're still uh, got work to do? Uh, I'm gonna go over. I feel really good about a couple of decisions that have been made by the athletic department. Uh, one, I really like their marketing campaign. The Northeast Wisconsin's Division One team and the billboard strategy that they have going with that uh, to get the word out. I think that in terms of your speaking to the community and you know you're letting people know this is high-level basketball and this is for the whole region, not just Green Bay, but the Fox Valley. And they're advertising, I believe, in the Fox Valley for the first time in a while. So I think there's an opportunity to get some people there. Uh, also, the start times of the games, like you know, it's been a subject for people. You know, like I, like I am a seven o'clock Saturday night guy, but I'm also the guy that wants to drink a few beers and, uh, you know, go out for wings beforehand and then, you know, uh, have make a night out of it. But I think that the six o'clock start times, which are, there's several of those that, you know, is a really good time. Like that's the, Hey, you can bring your family out and you're not out for the you know night and your kids aren't, you know, causing, uh, all sorts of problems in the morning because they're tired. And yeah, it's still a nighttime game. It kind of has that vibe and that juice that a nighttime game has. So I kind of feel like it's a good compromise. So I'm feeling like the you know the times and the effort that they're putting into the games will uh, help lead to wins, or excuse me, will help lead to people being there. I also think they're going to win. So winning, people want to be part of winning. 
and I feel like they're going to be way better than uh, people are talking about. I think that winning breeds interest and it breeds social proof. Like nobody wants to be the fan of the two win team. However, the 20 win team is pretty easy to get behind. And I think people want to be part of that. And I think they're going to win. So I think that will help attendance. And, um, you know, as much as I'm not necessarily into this, I think stylistically, it's a better fit for the Northeast Wisconsin community, the way they're going to play. I think people like seeing, you know, guys diving on the floor, you know, and this is not knocking anything that happened before, but, you know, you know why guys didn't dive on the floor in the past after loose balls? Because you can't start a fast break with your butt on the floor. But, you know, in, in the Green Bay, the, this era of Green Bay basketball, diving on the floor and getting the ball is the most important thing. And people are going to resonate with that. So I think style play is going to help. And that's going to get out there where people are like, yeah, I like watching that. You know, I like watching up and down basketball. I like watching alley oops. I like watching, you know, guys bomb threes. But that did not resonate with the people in Green Bay for whatever reason. So I'm feeling pretty yeah. confident that uh, 2,500 is a very doable number for them. And quite frankly, I'd be very disappointed if they're, you know, doing really well in the set, you know, in the home conference, in the home games in the conference stretch run, if they're not bringing in some decent crowds, um, you know, in January and into February, I would be very disappointed if they're not over 3000 for several of those games. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think they will get over. Um, I will say that, you know, there's a couple you know, the Horizon League didn't really do them any favors putting the um, the Milwaukee game on a Wednesday night um, in the middle of, you know, winter break. So losing out on some student attendance, uh, losing out on some fair weather Milwaukee fans driving up like they used to do uh, the last time they were relevant. Um, you know, I think uh, Wright State games on a Wednesday night as well. So that, you know, another potential big draw that, you know, would be better to have that on a weekend. Um, another thing is, I think they're playing a couple of games in February at the Crest, which, you know, those are usually, you know, February weekend games after the Packer season's over. Those are usually, you know, even in the, you know, past four or five years, those are getting five or 6,000 people at the Resch Center. Um, you know, and that's not going to be possible at the Crest because it only seats 4,000. So, you know, a couple of factors working against, you know, this, but I, I do think they will get over. 2,500 just because, like you mentioned, the marketing has been a whole lot better. They've been better on social media, um, you know, except for the the box score against St. Norbert's, but <laughs> but whatever. Um, um, but yeah, I think I think we're both in agreement they're gonna get over. You know, you, you mentioned something of those rivalry games, like the UWM game. Uh, the way the schedule fell, like the entire league is playing their rival on weird days. Uh, Wright State NKU is not on a Saturday. Oakland Detroit's not on a Friday or Saturday. Um, you know, some of the better rivals, Cleveland State Youngstown. I don't know if it's a rivalry, but it's the you know it had does had the buildings of one in the past. I believe those are not on a Friday or Saturday. Like the the way that the travel partners worked out, and then you get your rival game in there. Like it just. It, it was really weird that they're playing a lot of these games, marquee games on non-marquee times. Like, I think that's a big miss for the Horizon League overall. Yeah. If you look at the scheduling. Um, so, and I won't, I won't build, uh, beat my horse on the Crest Center, but you know what I will say? Get behind this team. Get behind this team. This is a program that's built to start winning now and win big going forward. And this is the kind of thing where I look at it and say, the, the Crest versus Rush debate shouldn't be a debate because there should be 3,500 to 4,500 people for every game making the Crest a moot point. Say it's not big enough to hold what we are as the program. This is one of those times where, you know, I look at things and say, you know, there's the there's the real stimulus. that says, look, we're rebuilding off of a low point, not of a pandemic. Things aren't good. There's the optimist in me that says, look, this is a community, including, you know, Appleton, where there's 700,000 people in that greater metro area between Green Bay and Appleton. A lot of alumni in that area, a lot of business in that area. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to get 4,000 plus people to one of these games. And then there's the, you know, the, you know, so that's the optimist. Like, I see the opportunity. They're going to do some things to start winning. And then there's, you know, the activist. And that's, you know, telling you, get to the games, support the team. Let's do this. This is our team. This is our program. Let's let's win. Like let's not shy away from that. Let's have that UWM mentality of we should be competing for championships. So 
Um, I think that that crest rush debate is one that we as fans control and we have the ability to make that a moot point by supporting the program. I love it. I, I did not mean to open a can of worms there, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last over under I had was uh, five and a half, which is um, number of podcasts you and I will do this season. <laughs> so we've got, we've got one down already. That would be about one per month. What do you think? Over under five and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the under, but <laughs> I think we'll record seven and five of them will actually get launched. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard, I heard you're not an actual podcast. Like you haven't made it until you lose an episode. So yeah, I think we've officially made it. There you go. Uh, you know what? I'm willing to do it as much as people like to listen, like, or have you on with other people. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is about talking green Bay hoops and getting excited. So I think we could easily do more than five and a half if you wanted to, or we can definitely fill uh, with other, other guests and contributors that would have like to share their opinions on, on green Bay basketball as well. So, uh, you know, over is definitely doable. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying over, but, to be fair, I say over every year, and then I <laughs> I don't really follow through. But um, now that you're f- officially a co-host, um, you can hold me to that. So sounds good. Uh, all right, so those are our over unders. I guess real quick, Jim, just wanna I know if people probably won't be listening. You know, at least some of them will already. Um, the game on Tuesday will already have happened. But do you just kind of want to touch on Indiana State quick? It sounds like it'll be. Uh, you know, a, a matchup of two different styles. Indiana State's going to want to play fast, and Green Bay is going to be a little bit more deliberate and, and uh, you know, look for their shots. But um, just do you know anything else on, on Indiana State Tuesday night? Yeah, I mean, Indiana State, a couple things. Their best players out for the season. Uh, he was all first team, expected to be all first team, Missouri Valley. So that's a blow for them. Uh, they got a guy like Cooper Nice, uh, shoots a lot of threes. They got a guy that uh, came from. Lincoln Memorial with the head coach and uh, 6'6", 200 something pounds, but uh, playmaker. He had, I think, nine assists or seven assists uh, in their exhibition game. I saw that their uh, beat writer, Todd Golden, uh, said he had several no look passes. He's kind of like a little showman out there, you know, whipping the ball around, making plays. Uh, they have a, a big guy that came from Oregon State, Deron Darion or Deron Tucker, uh, 6'10. I mean, that's, that's a big person. He was five. I think he had five out of six baskets against Rose Holman. Uh, granted, it's a you know lower level team, but you know physical size might be something there. Uh, but ultimately, this is a team that is this is a team that's a year behind where our our team is. You know, this is a team that is you know rebuilding without their best player on short notice. And so, and this is a team that's coming on the road. Um, you know, so I'm I'm feeling like this is a very winnable opportunity for green Bay and, you know, whoever implements that their style, you know, if green Bay is going to let these guys get up and down or wants to get up and down with them, that's probably not a good recipe for green Bay. Uh, if green Bay can control uh, the pace of the game and work their offense, I don't know that uh, this Indiana state team has enough weapons right now to compete with that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely about who can put their style out there. And, but I think this is a tremendous opportunity for uh, the league. We don't get a lot of Missouri Valley games as a league. We don't win a lot of Missouri Valley games as a league. And so this is – I don't care if they're preseason number nine in the Missouri Valley or not. This is a good opportunity for Green Bay and for the league. This is a uh, – there are no must-win games in November, but this is – really really wanted game <laughs> yeah this was this was one of the uh when we talked about our over-unders in the non-conference i had this one down as a win um so yeah we'll see um what about wisconsin on friday night um that one's gonna be you know if tuesday is a contrast of styles friday's pretty much the uh the spider-man meme with the the two spider-man pointing at each other, you know, playing, yeah. playing the same style. Uh, what are you going to be looking for Friday night in Madison? Well, you know, Madison, uh, it's very interesting because they have very young uh, point guard play. You know, they're expecting um, Chucky Hepburn and I think it's uh, Lauren Bowman to kind of be their guards. Those are both true freshmen. Uh, they've got much more size than Green Bay has. Um, 
you know, with Crawl and and Tyler Wall. So, you know, being able to match up against that. And like Tyler Wall, I think last year just ate them up off of effort. Like just straight up effort. Like, you know, if anybody in Green Bay's team was playing as hard as him, uh, they would score a lot more points. But that dude just killed him on effort. So that's gotta be correct. Um, but generally speaking, you know, it's tough to go to Madison and get a win. I'm not sure that this team is built to win at against a high major team quite yet, but I would expect it to be a much closer game than we had against them last year. And my, my big hope, um, you know, if anybody remembers when Virginia came to town a number of years ago and uh, they had like a, a tribute to Tony Bennett and, you know, and Tony Bennett after the game said, I'm never doing that again because you guys, you know, suckered our players and getting soft and not being ready for the game. And Green Bay won that game, you know, against <laughs> Virginia. It's something to that effect. Uh, my yeah. only hope is that they're doing it. They're honoring Bo Ryan at halftime of the Badger game. And maybe, you know, people let their guard down and Green Bay has to win out on them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they're reminiscing about the Bo Ryan era. And then Will Ryan comes in and sneaks a win from them. So, uh, but I'm not, I'm not saying they can't win. I just think that that's a tall mountain to climb. But at the end of the day, I don't grade, you know, the program on those on these high major games. Like, you know, it's just a different different animal. I, I'm going to be looking at these uh, five mid-major non-conference games as how I'm grading out the uh, the start of the season here. Yep, totally agree. But uh, yeah, it's exciting. Basketball's back. Um, I'm bummed. I won't be able to be there uh, at the crest on Tuesday. I got you know daddy duty, but uh, I will be there. On Friday in Madison, looking forward to that. Um, maybe maybe I'll swing by State Street Brats beforehand. We'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, Jim, anything else uh, before we get out of here? You know, uh, one last thing, a, a new thing for me this year. I am a member of the Phoenix Fund Board, and so one of the things I always want to remind people uh, about college athletics is that this is our program, and part of it being our program is we have to support it and, you know, there's lots of ways to support it, um, whether it's being emotionally invested in it, uh, telling your friends about it. Um, one other way to support is financially. And so if anybody's looking for information on how they can get involved, uh, reach out to me via DM. Love to tell you about you know, what's going on in Green Bay Athletics. This is uh, being built to be you know, successful and being built to be sustained as a uh, successful program, not just basketball, but all the sports. Uh, women's soccer had a fantastic year. Women's volleyball is competitive with a very young team. Uh, men's and women's cross country exceeded expectations in the fall season at the conference meet. So, uh, but to keep that growing, it's going to take resources, it's going to take people's support, it's going to take uh, a lot of effort. And so anybody that can help and wants to learn about how they can help, please reach out to me. I'd love to you know, share some ideas with you. So that's my little commercial for the Phoenix Fund. I appreciate it. Yeah, well said. Um, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Jim Saro so you can send him a DM. Um, follow me on Twitter if you want at Brian Dickman and uh, check out my Manchester United tweets. Um, otherwise, make sure to follow Fear the Phoenix and uh, celebrating 10 years now, actually, with Fear the Phoenix. I got an alert on Twitter today that today is my 10 year anniversary on Twitter with Fear the Phoenix. So um, exciting stuff. Um, but that's going to be all for today. Thank you all for listening. Um, we'll be back soon, right, Jim? We will. Let's have a good start to the season, everybody. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.